you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. So we finish out chapter 1 today. Well, two weeks ago, we saw how Paul exhorted the church to be faithful in its proclamation of the gospel. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to simply share with others what God has done for us. We talked about how every one of us has a story and what God is doing in our lives and how we have an opportunity to share that with others. And uh, as I said yesterday, I had an opportunity for about 20 minutes to do that. And it's kind of exciting when you have that opportunity. You actually prayed for it and God gave it to you. And uh, it's really neat, and then to be able to talk about the circumstances revolving around it. But uh, I believe that when we pray for those opportunities and look for those opportunities, God's going to give us those opportunities to share our story. Uh, We saw at least four examples through the various passages of Scripture of how Paul's life changed because of the gospel. And uh, over and over, he was never afraid. In fact, he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he realized how powerful his testimony can be in sharing your faith with others and what God has done for you in your life. And so if the gospel has changed your life, we should share that hope with others. Uh, So today we're going to go look at the third aspect of Paul's message to Timothy, and that is for the church to be faithful in defending its faith. And uh, we see this in the passage of Scripture that Paul spoke to Timothy with great importance. Uh, I want to read the passage also also from my text, but I also want to read it from another text this morning because I just think it really adds a little bit of a dimension to it. But so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith in a good conscience, with some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, of whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, as... Uh, my preparation each week goes into preparing the messages. I kind of like to read through a lot of different texts, different passages, and so forth. And uh, one that I have not picked up for a while is the message. I, would, I don't preach from the message, but it's a great opportunity just to read through the text once in a while. From a, I guess from a standpoint of just reading about it. It's a paraphrase. But I like what it said this week in the message. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, beginning once again in verse 18. It says... Uh, um, Deep honor and bright glory to the King of all time, one God, immortal, invisible, ever and always. Oh yes, I'm passing this work unto you, my son Timothy. The prophetic word that was directed to you prepared us for this. All those prayers are coming together now, so you will do this well. Fearless in your struggle, keeping a firm grip on your faith and yourself. After all, this is what is, is a fight we're in. There are some, you know, who by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes have made a thorough mess of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two of them. I let them wander off to Satan to be taught a lesson or two about not blaspheming. Now, I don't know that I would put my concrete evidence in that word-for-word text of the, of the, the, the critical text there. But I like what it said about a couple of things there, about Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, and I think sometimes it's true of all of us. He says... There are some of you, you know, who by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes. And as a result of that, their faith has gone shipwreck. Because sometimes we get the idea that the fervor and the excitement and the joy 
and the urgency with which we once held to the gospel has kind of been let loose of. We were not as excited as we once were. I mean, there was a time when we look back, we were really excited. We were gung-ho. I like what one of my favorite preachers said. He goes, man, when I first got saved, I was ignorance on fire. He goes, man, I was excited. I didn't know what I was excited about, but I was excited. And some of us, we look back to a time when we were excited. And that excitement is long gone. Shame on us. Shame on us, really. And there's, a, there's an idea, as, as it was with Hymenaeus and Alexander, that they just kind of thought, well, anything goes. Anything, you know, hey, we're, all, we're still in, right? We're all, we're all still in. But are we really still in fellowship with the Lord? And I think this is a charge that Paul was giving to Timothy. You've got to take this thing serious. Don't just imagine that anything's going to go, as the, as the message kind of iterated. So, today we're going to look at that third aspect of Paul's message to really take hold of the gospel and to make sure that we understand it well and that we defend it no matter what. And I think this is a day and age in which we live that now more than ever we must defend the faith. Now don't get me wrong. God's word doesn't need defended, right? We know that God's going to protect His Word. And He said, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. And that really gives us the confidence that the Word is never going to go anywhere, right? We have confidence that God's Word is going to stand. It doesn't need defended, but we need to defend our faith. And we need to stand up for what we know is right. A lot could be said there, but we'll just go on here. Notice how Paul spoke to Timothy in verse 18. He says, This charge... In some of your translations, it may say, this command that I've given to you. Uh, it's really a command given down from a superior officer to a lesser superior or lesser officer, uh, given a command with seriousness and urgency. And Paul committed or entrusted this charge to Timothy. And apparently others had selected Timothy as well. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter, I believe it's 13... In Acts chapter 13, just a couple of verses there, we find that there was a process here whereby he was selected. In Acts chapter 13, a similar process says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who were called Niger, Lucius, Irene, Menin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. There was a process where, where they go in, they would pray and they would fast, and, and God would lead them to the men. And I think Timothy went through such a process where he was chosen to do this work. And you remember, as we saw earlier in the text, he says, you've got to take this serious, Timothy. The church is depending on you. God is depending on you. You can't let this thing go. And so he gives them this command, verse 18, this charge I commit to you. This as a military charge given to him according to the prophecies previous made, previously made concerning you. That by them, those prophecies and your calling to this work, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, he says it's a warfare. So now, what does a warfare mean? It means that there is a battle taking place. And who is the battle taking place against? Satan, right? There are those that give in. There are those who just let loose. There are those who just say, I give up. But the bottom line is, he's saying, you cannot do this, Timothy. You've been chosen. You've been selected. And I'm telling you with urgency, you've got to withhold this. 
You got to stand up to it. You got to make sure that this charge that has been given to you, that you carry it out and you fulfill what's been, been requested of you. So he says, This is a war that we're in. And let me ask you this question Is warfare easy? Are there casualties to warfare? There are all kinds of casualties, and it's not just death. There are a lot of people going to war, they never come out the same. And let me just tell you in the battle that God has us in, we shouldn't just take it humdrum. We shouldn't just take it as, oh, well, that's life. That's just the way it is. I think that's what we see what Hymenaeus and Alexander were doing. The bottom line is, like, oh, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. And we need to stand up and fight for what we know is right. We see the example of all in our culture of how people are not standing up. And anything is going. We have things that we don't believe in. Things that we would never agree to. But we just let it go. We don't stand up. Sometimes we use scripture as our crutch for that. Well, as much as within you, live peaceably with all men. Okay, live peaceably, but it doesn't mean you have to agree. There are ways that I can love people without agreeing to them. I can love people without, without the understanding of saying, I agree with you 100%. And we need to love. But that doesn't mean we agree. So, bottom line is we are to wage the good warfare. Um, it's not always going to be easy, especially within our culture. So, consider 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you over, over just a couple pages, chapter 2 and verse 4 says this. It says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So the bottom line is, Paul is giving a command to Timothy to stand up, to accept the charge, and to fight this battle courageously. Then he goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 4, that no one who's inside this army will entangle himself with what? The affairs of this life. What are the affairs of this life? I think 1 John 2 gives us the, real, the reality of what the, that answer is. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And at the end of that text, it says that the world is going to what? Pass away. So he says you ought not to be entangled with. Now he did a study on that word entangled several years ago, and it was really interesting because it has the idea. I remember as a kid growing up, I used to go to Lake Michigan quite a bit. That was our vacation spot. We used to find some of those little mom and pop restaurants, I mean uh, motels and restaurants along Lake Michigan, and we would go and we'd go from different little motel to motel along the whole lake as a kid growing up. And I remember those very distinctly because a lot of them had these little gift and souvenir shops along Lake Michigan. And one of the things that they had in all these shops were these big fisherman nets. Now, the word entangled has the idea of, if you can imagine yourself, having one of these fisherman nets laid out, and now we're going to have a little contest. We're going to line up along one side of the fisherman's net, and we're going to run through it. What do you think could happen? Your feet are going to get caught in the loops. If it's just thrown out on the ground, we're going to run through it. It's going to tangle your feet. And that's exactly the picture here of your feet being entangled into the web, into the net of the things of this life. And you think, what are the things of this life? What is it that this world stands for? What are the, this world's philosophies? What does this culture believe in? What is it that we stand for as a country that would be against God's word and God's principles? He said, we're not to be entangled with those things, the affairs of this life. Let me just say it, we all get entangled with it, don't we? There's so many things that we try not to get entangled with, but we inadvertently, at times, get caught up in them. You ever get caught up in the politics? Does it drive you nuts like it drives me nuts? 
Do you have a like a little limiter button on your on your brain? They said if I watch one more episode of Fox News and Friends, it's just going to explode. Or CNN, if that's your cup of poison. I mean, I don't know. I mean, pick it. Does your does your brain have a little limiter that goes? <laughs> if I hear one more thing about Trump, really? What's your what's what's your entanglement? What's your affair of this life that you get entangled with? The desire to have the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, I mean, just spending time with this and looking at this and observing that. And What is the affairs of this life that we get caught up in? Because he said, no soldier that's been enlisted will be caught up in the affairs of this life. That's hard to do, isn't it? Anyone else struggle with that? Because there are so many things, even good things. Good things like family. Who doesn't like enjoy spending time with family and friends? But if that's where our focus is more than on God, we've got to get those things back into perspective. So he says, no good soldier will be caught up in, in the affairs. That, why? He tells us why. That he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. The very person that you have become in your faith and your walk with Jesus Christ is for a purpose of pleasing him who brought you to that faith. So our allegiance is to who? God. He's the one that we're here to please. He's the one that we're here to help in the battle. He's the soldier, or he's the captain that we're trying to fight for. So they says that he may wage the good warfare. Now, it tells us in verse 19 how Timothy was to wage that warfare. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. So I think he gives us two ways that we're to wage the good warfare. First of all, with our faith. Our faith. Uh, in the last few months, I don't know, I've heard all these different acronyms for faith, but the one that jumps out most, and it's been on Facebook of all places numerous times, forsaking all, I trust him. What a great acronym. Our faith. No matter what happens, I don't care what happens. I'm, my, my faith is solid. It's not going to change. I'm going to trust him no matter what. Faith. He says, you can fight the good warfare with faith. Let me ask you a question. In battle, are there times that you think that maybe we're not winning the battle? Yeah. There are times you wonder, okay, wait a minute. I feel like I'm, I'm losing here. I'm losing ground. I've been, I've been pushed back a little bit. What do we do? We dig down in our faith. We know that God's in control, right? Right? We know that God's in control. Let's trust him. Let's, 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 let's bear down, let's grit our teeth and say, I'm taking a step forward. I'm moving forward no matter what. I'm not giving up. I'm going to move, I'm going to move forward. So he says, with faith and a good conscience. I don't know about you, but let's just kind of take that word, words, good conscience, just for what it means in the American dictionary. If I have a good conscience, that means that what? I haven't done what I, have, was not asked, or I haven't done what I was asked not to do so to speak. You can kind of twist that a little bit, kind of make it understand what the definition is in your mind, but here's the idea. In 1 John, it talks about that we may have confidence when our Lord appears. I've used the illustration at times that um, there are times in, in, in past that, let's say hypothetically, we, we told our children that we we're going to be gone for a couple days. Now, while I'm gone, I don't want, your, I don't want you to have any friends over. Okay, mom, but can so-and-so come? No, no, no one means no one. And so I'm going to be gone for three days, but when I get back, I don't, I don't want to have any, I don't want to, nobody's going to be here while we're gone. 
So day one, friends call up and they say, hey, can we come over? No, my mom and dad are gone. They don't want anyone in the house. Ah, that's a bummer. Well, day two, someone else calls and they say, well, can we come over? You know, we got kind of bored. Well, no, mom and dad said I can't have anyone over while they're gone. Day three, you're bored. You've watched all the DVDs that you can watch in the house. There's nothing on TV, and you get the phone call. Yeah, I guess a little while wouldn't hurt. So all innocent enough, your buddy comes over, and they're sitting in the couch on one side, and you're sitting in the love seat on the other, and you're just tossing a ball back and forth. And, you know, pretty soon you're going to kind of lift it up over the chandelier a little bit or over the light, and then it's back and forth, just enjoying the time. Then all of a sudden, one time, it ricochets off your hand and hits the glass vase right here. Boom. Breaks. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Mom and Dad said not to have anyone over. And 1 John says we're to do what's right so that we may stand boldly and confidently before him as the Lord comes. Let me ask you a question. Is that kid going to stand boldly and confident before the parent as they come back home on day three? No. Why? Because they knowingly did something wrong. Here's the deal. Their conscience is going to be frustrated because they did something that they knew they were not supposed to do. Here's the idea. Our commander-in-chief has given us the battle plan. Right? He's given us the manual on how we're to live. And what is it when we know certain things that we're supposed to do and we choose not to do it? And there are things that we're not supposed to do that we choose to do? What happens to our conscience the more that we do it? It gets pushed down. Even in Scripture it says it can become seared to the point where we just don't care anymore. He says, you want to wage the good warfare? He says, verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, you'll do well. The good conscience comes from doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. But you know, I like what Andy Stanley says, and I've shared this with you before, but all of us live with a certain amount of measurable guilt because we know there are things that we should be doing, but we also know that we're just not going to do it. And so we've learned to live with the guilt. That's the conscience telling us we should change, and we choose not to. He says, you want to wage a good, good warfare? You want to win the battle? You go in with faith and a clear conscience. Why? Because you're walking in obedience. You're doing what your commanders ask you to do. In fact, he says this, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. What's he saying here? Some have given up. Some have just said, ah, it's not that big a deal. Some have said, Hey, it's not worth fighting for anymore. I'm tired of the fight. I'm never going to win anyway. It's a losing battle. And they just give up. What did the message say? Some, who by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes, have made a thorough mess of their faith. How many people do we know who have made a thorough mess of their faith? Because, well, anything goes. You know, I'm better than them. 
oh, I'm not quite to that standard yet, but you know, I could be. I'm not like them. But who's our point of reference? Who's our point of comparison? Who's our point of contrast? Who? Jesus, not other people. In fact, I know for a fact that when I die one day, I'm not going to stand before you. And you're not going to stand before me for what you have done in your life. You will stand before God. And it's not going to be a justifiable excuse to say, well, I was better than Joe over there. No offense, Joe. Um, I'm better than you know Annie over there. No. It doesn't matter what Joe or Annie did. What did God ask of you? Do you have a strong faith? Do you have a clear conscience? Because you're walking in obedience. And because of it, you're fighting the good fight. You've accepted the charge that God's given to you. In fact, in Jude, right before the book of Revelation there, you're familiar with this verse I'm going to read. Jude chapter 1, verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. This is the same message that Paul has given to Timothy. Stand firm in this faith. Contend for it. It's important if you want to win the battle that you stand strong. So you notice how Paul spoke to Timothy about the charge. Notice how Timothy was to wage the good warfare with faith and good conscience. Then number three, specifically, who has rejected these? And he looks at verse 20, at Hymenaeus and Alexander. And God's word doesn't tell us a lot about them. But it says, Concerning the faith I have suffered, ship, suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Delivered to Satan? What does it mean? I struggle with that a little bit this week. Delivered to Satan. Because I don't know that any of us can deliver to anyone, to anyone. But the idea here is this. I've encouraged. I've talked to. I've exhorted. I've, in every way possible, encouraged them to do what's right. I'm out of words. I'm out of words. Satan's going to do with them what he's going to do with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4 says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one. Who's the one? The one who is walking in sin. The one who's choosing not to do what's right. Who is disregarding the charge. Someone who is saying, I don't want to stand for what's right that person will suffer the consequences of their choices. Sometimes as teachers, say, well, I really don't want to give that person a bad grade. You're not. I remind that of Don once in a while. She's a teacher. I really don't want to give that person a bad grade. You're not. They earned it. You don't do the work? That's it. You made a choice not to do the work. Now this is the consequence. You didn't give them that grade. They earned it, right? Well, then other people say, well, they didn't deserve that. Well, every choice we make has consequences. Good choices often bring good consequences, and bad choices often bring bad consequences, right? 
I didn't give anybody anything. I can bless somebody. I can encourage somebody. But when it comes to results, most of us have earned what we've got. By the choices that we've made, we suffer the consequences that go with it. Hymenaeus and Alexander made choices. And the result of those choices had consequences. I don't know about you, but I don't know fully what those consequences are. But just kind of reading between the lines there in Second or First Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme, I'm guessing they had some pretty severe consequences. I don't think I want to enjoy those or participate in those. They were delivered to Satan. Can I just say this? The church will always be under attack. Who's the church? You and I. There are always going to be people who disagree with you. There are always going to be people who will take a disagreement one step further and argue with you. That's not our job. That's our job to stand up for what we know is right. It's our job to obey the command that's been given to us. It's our job to make right choices and let the consequences be where they will be. God will take care of the rest. But they were delivered for the purpose, at least one thing that we know that they were doing was what? Blaspheming. It says that they may learn not to blaspheme. So that presupposes the fact that they were blaspheming God in some way. I wonder how often we may potentially be blaspheming God by saying, God, I don't really want to do what you want to do. I want to do what I want to do. See, this command that Timothy was receiving from Paul was for the church that he was pastoring. The church that was entrusted in him, he was to who he was stewarding. And it's just as applicable to us today. If we want to be a church that's going to stand the test, if we want to be a church that's going to win not just the battle but the war and stay faithful to the end, that means you and I as a church, you and I as a church, must take that, that command, that charge, with urgency to go forward with faith in a clear conscience, in other words, with obedience, and understanding that if we don't, there are consequences. But I believe that God has something more for us. Amen? He does have something more. But we've got to do our part. I don't know what's you, but that's a challenge to me. It's a challenge, as he says here, he says, I'm passing this work on to you. The prophetic word that was directed to you prepared us for this. All these prayers coming together now so that you'll do this well. I don't want to just survive. I want us to thrive through everything that comes our way. He says, so that you'll do this well. And then he says, fearless of your struggle, fearless in your struggle. He says, you're not giving up. The struggle is hard. Yeah, it's tough. But I'm not afraid of it, though. I know, I know. Hey, there may be a couple battles we lose, but we know who wins the war, right? All three of you? That's good. Um, keeping a firm grip on your faith and on yourself. Because this is the fight we're in. And there are some who by relaxing their grip and thinking anything goes, have made a thorough mess. That's the shipwreck. I want to get sail, I want to sail clearly to the other side in this life. There's going to be some big waves. There's going to be some strong winds. 
but I don't want to be shipwrecked. I want to make it to the other side because I know who's with us, right? This is not a command that Timothy had to do alone. God was with him, and he's with us in our battle. He's there with us as we're waging war in this world that we live in. Stand firm. Let's pray.